0: Hey guys, welcome to the show. Today, I have a very special guest, Casey Diaz. He wrote a book called The Shot Caller, A Latino Gangbanger's Miraculous Escape from a Life of Violence to a New Life in Christ. His story is amazing. When I read his book, there were so many times when I got choked up and I was just like, oh my God, only God could do this. And his story, his conversion story is absolutely incredible and amazing. And I can't wait for you to hear it. But first, a word from our sponsor. Y'all, we all got weaknesses. It's okay. Just acknowledge what those weaknesses are and be willing to confront them. Even when restoration doesn't work, forgiveness always does. Chris, how did you overcome the whole passive husband thing? You know, I let him through it. <laughs> <laughs> there is work for us to do. It is not just sit back and cross my arms and just kind of wait for God to drop the miracle. Hey, y'all, it's Dana Shea. For real faith based marriage advice, be sure to tune into Real Relationship Talk on LifeAudio.com or wherever you get your podcast The Historical Jesus podcast is the sweeping saga of the life and times of Galilean Jesus of Nazareth as well as the faith, religion and church founded to honor and disseminate his acts and teachings. Join me, Mark Vinette, on this fascinating journey through time, exploring the many great works of Christian theology, literature, architecture, music, and art, inspired by the words and deeds of Jesus Christ. Welcome, Casey Diaz.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: So Uh, good to have you on. After reading your book, I was just, as I just said, I was just blown away by it. And by, I mean, it's just like God can do anything (laughs) (laughs) you could say wretches like me wretches like you it's just crazy to me and um your story of your conversion story is amazing which we're going to get to but let's start back in the beginning you're from you were born in El Salvador you moved to LA when I think you were two years old yes and you moved to kind of Koreatown, downtown L.A., right?
1: Yeah, it's considered the Rampart District of Los Angeles.
0: The Rampart, which was like a very controversial time. Yes. There, the yeah. Rampart Division was very, very controversial. <laughs> In fact, the show The Shield was basically, I don't know if you ever saw that show, but it was yes. based on the Rampart Division. They've done several movies
1: uh, and shows uh, about Rampart.
0: Yeah, yeah, there was a lot of corruption and crazy, go- crazy things going on. <laughs> So you you came to LA, and then how did you get involved in a gang? Because you, I think you were what eleven years old when you first joined the gang.
1: Yes, I was eleven years old. Um, you know, uh, got introduced to it uh, by a uh, uh, one of my friends' brother, older brothers. And when I say older, he was probably around fifteen, sixteen years old, uh, which is in the streets and in the whole gang culture. That's it's pretty up there uh, it, it, it's, it's uh it <laughs> over insane, the hill but yeah but yeah, well, when you've uh when you've lived it uh fifteen to an eleven year old involved in the gang already it's pretty old and uh you know, it was just enticing I saw uh, uh the people that picked him up uh, for parties and the people he hung out with uh they were already driving cars they were already you know it, it just looked like it looked like fun. Uh, to be honest with you it didn't, it didn't look like what it became uh initially and so that kind of intrigued me in the beginning
0: yeah and you you, you say in the book that you know part of the reason why you joined the gang was because you had a di- very difficult relationship with your father was I that kind of the main reason that it was appealing to you to have a group you know to to be able to belong to
1: yeah um for me it was uh it was a combination of of uh of my father being uh, there but not there um, you know, he, he was an alcoholic, a very strong drinker, and uh, a, a very violent uh, man. Uh, and then the, uh, and then you had my mom, who was just trying to, you know, pick up the pieces where she could, and working late hours, early mornings, and so I never got to see her except on Sundays. So a combination of those two things, I think, partake of uh, of what I would become later on in the future. Um, I was left alone, unsupervised, uh, at a very young age. Um, so I, I think uh, that does play uh, uh, quite a role in uh, in in my young uh, childhood.
0: And so, and you were an only child, right? At that time, I was. Yes. Yeah. And so you get involved in the in this gang. I don't know if we can say the name of the gang or not. Uh, but you get involved in this gang and there's you know some crazy things go down and when you're 11 years old i think when you were uh i don't know how, I th- how old were you when you you entered juvenile juvenile hall
1: it, it was 11 years old is uh almost immediately after uh joining the gang at 11 uh, i say maybe several weeks maybe a month or two
0: and what uh, were, and what were be- the charges what were the what was the reason why they put you in juvenile hall
1: um, I don't remember
0: that far. I think it might have been a robbery,
1: armed robbery, or something like that. Uh, very early on, um, Then followed up by a, a stabbing and some some more violent uh, crimes at a very early age. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And what? So, what was that like when you first entered juvie hall? What was that like for you? I mean, were you? scared or was it just kind of like that was just part of the gang culture and you just were expected to kind of do that
1: you know what um (laughs) there's a funny story uh uh behind that because you hear about so many uh uh, you know police officers would tell you uh as they're arresting you oh you, you know this is gonna be um this is gonna be uh horrible uh you're gonna you know people get raped people get killed in there you hear it all right and so you're that's what you're expecting, and um, uh, I get there, and uh, I'm sitting in in the reception center of this juvenile hall, East Lake Juvenile Hall, uh, and it was just me and another guy, another uh, a kid. Me sitting in front of me, and he says, "Where are you from?" In Los Angeles, and in the gang culture, when somebody's asking you where you're from, they're asking you what gang you're from. Well, yeah. this guy wasn't asking me in a very uh, uh, threatening way; it was just kind of where are you from? A very friendly. Where are you from? And my mind was already fixed on the first person that hits me up. Cause that's what you call it. When somebody says, where are you from? Uh, my, my heart, my mind was already fixed. The person that, that hits me up, I'm just going to roll on them. And as soon as he asked the question, I start swinging at him and, <laughs> and uh, yeah, it was just like automatic. And so juvenile hall became a very fun playground for me. I I, I didn't, see it as a punishment or, uh, it, it just, I felt like, all right, well, this is how you get up in rank. This is how, you know, you make it in here. This is how you make your name known, uh, both inside and outside. So it was more of a playground for me. Uh, I know others had, uh, have had different difficulties in there.
0: Yeah. And then, so how long were you in, Ju- in Juvenile Hall?
1: Uh, I was in and out of that place. Uh, you know, the laws were different back then. I mean, I would go in there for armed robbery, for assault, for whatever. And I'd get out within days. Sometimes I would get out the the same day from the police stations. Uh, It was a different time. I mean, there was times where they let me go without a parent picking me up. And that was, um, I mean, I know it didn't happen just to me. Uh, Many people have uh, come uh, forward and said that, you know, the right thing was for a parent to come pick you up at a yeah. police station, but there was times where they just let you go, and and I was I, I experienced a lot of that. Uh, yeah. It was just a different era, I believe, in yeah, policing. And,
0: but then, um, at six, when you were sixteen years old, you were convicted of second degree murder, and that's when things really shifted, and <clears throat> that's when you went off to prison. Right when you were sixteen.
1: I was sixteen. Yes, uh, I was sixteen years old, and uh, I was charged with a second-degree murder uh, of another gang member.
0: And was that? And then in, in prison, you became what? What, you, what the book is called a shot caller. What can it explain what that means? A shot caller.
1: A, a shot caller is someone that is very high in rank. Um, w- w- what happens in inside in, in in the California Department of Corrections or in the county jail? They have what's called a shot caller and various uh, sectors of the prison and pods uh, or modules in the county jail always has what we would consider a a representative uh, or a gang leader, a shot caller. That person. Basically
0: basically you're calling the shots is what it is. You're calling the
1: shots and uh, it could be from anywhere from what gets moved from one uh, module to another module, uh, whether it's drugs, contraband of whatever sort, And up to, um, well, uh, killing somebody uh, while you're in there. And most of the shot callers um, don't even have to get their hands dirty. You say the word and and it's done. It's that quick.
0: We'll be right back after this short break. Has fear stolen your peace? I'm Jennifer Slattery, lead host of the Faith Over Fear podcast, helping you fight your fears and grow your faith. Subscribe at lifeaudio.com. And how did you get chosen as the shot caller? Um, I had a big reputation already coming in
1: uh, from the streets. Uh, I had a pretty infamous name uh, out here and um, that that rolled in there with me. Uh, When I hit the county jail uh, in in maximum security, uh, one of my uh, victims uh, was there uh, from one of my assaults. And uh, this is a guy that uh, I had stabbed in the eye uh, from a gang in, in Los Angeles. And so his homeboy was there with
0: the, with the screwdriver, right?
1: Yeah, with the screwdriver to the eye.
0: That sounds pretty gnarly. <laughs> it, it 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 was,
1: and it, you know, it, it's um, I was introduced to stabbing somebody with a screwdriver initially when, uh, and I talk about that in the book, and mm-hmm. how uh, that just progresses throughout the the entire eight chapters of the first book. That it, it just um, it, it becomes almost like a a name for me. Uh, because of what I did and what I chose to do with. Uh, and so in this county jail, in this maximum security uh, county jail, uh, this guy comes up to me and says, hey, uh, you're Casey from, you know, mentioned my gang. And he says, uh, I, I was there when you when you shanked my, my homeboy in the eye. And he stretches out his hand and he says, uh, good to meet you. And uh, that was a big factor in me being uh, brought in as a shock caller, and voted in by the rest of uh, the people in there.
0: Yeah. And then uh, you said maximum security. So I think uh, you were 18 years old when you were transferred to New Folsom, which was a maximum security prison. And I was so shocked by, first of all, you were in solitary confinement, right?
1: Yes, for three and a half years.
0: So 23 hours of the day, you were in a tiny cell.
1: In an 8 by 10 cell. Uh, it, to give you a picture of what 8 feet by 10 feet looks like, uh, measure any parking space uh, in any parking lot. And that's about an 8 by 10. Um, you know, toilet toilet and sink. Metal toilet and sink. Uh, concrete slab. Um, a sheet. Uh, white boxers. White t-shirt. And that's all you got. And, that's uh, what I, two, I was so shocked
0: know. by that, that they only gave you boxers and a t-shirt. Like not even pants or anything no. else, just a boxer, no. boxers and a tee.
1: Boxers and t-shirts and a little uh, a toothbrush about this big, just the bristles and uh, and a roll of toilet paper. That's all you had. Uh, this is solitary back then was solitary. There was no uh, in uh, another inmate with you, another cellmate. Uh, there was no TVs. There was no, you know, now solitary confinement. Uh, you, you look at the California Department of Corrections uh, throughout Every prison here, um, they have TVs, they have cellmates, and it looks like a liquor store in, inside their cell. Uh, that didn't exist back then. Uh, there was abso- it was absolute solitary uh,
0: well, confinement. What I, what I what I didn't really get in the book is I I don't know if I, maybe I just missed it, but why you were put in sol- Why were you put in solitary confinement instead of just with you know the general population?
1: Well, so I went from. East max in the Los Angeles County jail in in wayside. And then I would be transferred to the gang module and the gang module held all the high ranking uh, gang leaders from Los Angeles. If in in fact, uh, it was deemed so dangerous in this module that even regular gang members uh, that were, you know, trustees and trustees are those, these are the guys that are probably didn't pay their parking ticket or, you know, uh, lower, lower crimes. And they're only going to serve about maybe five months, a month or two. So they, they're, they're called trustees. And these are the guys that their job is to go serve food in, in modules, in dorms. They, they mop up, they clean up, uh, various jobs mm-hmm. to, to these trustees. Trustees would, and these are gang members, trustees would not, they did not want that job in that module. Because if you came into that module, you were going to walk out with a letter of some sort, an assignment of some sort that could get you in big trouble if you don't do it. And so it was, it was, you know, it was uh, that uh, the point system that they have in CDC, uh, where it's you're you're labeled from one to one hundred, you're graded uh, depending on your gang leadership, your uh, your crime, your name, what we call our jacket. So if you, you had a heavy jacket, meaning a list of crimes, you yeah. were known. You were a known individual inside and out. Uh, that's how they ranked that that one through a hundred. The higher you scored, the more security was deemed for you. So I went in there with ninety-seven points out of a hundred. Uh, so that meant from the bus to the shoe program, uh, no stops in between, kind of thing.
0: And from your book, I mean, you 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 say that. A lot of guys in solitary confinement, they they go crazy because it it can make you completely psychotic and go mad. And this is what
1: a lot of the uh, folks out here don't understand. Uh, You know, uh, it it doesn't matter how tall, how wide, how big, how muscular. That has absolutely no nothing uh, to do with uh, a a grown man uh, breaking down. Those walls do start to cave in. And if you don't have a, a strong mind, um, you know, it, it, to this day, and I've been out for a long time, uh, there's times when I go into deep sleep, uh, wake up in, in, you know, in a sweat. Uh, I could hear the voices and the shouts and the yells of somebody that, that just lost their mind. And, you know, six foot four, 18 inch arms didn't matter. Uh, it'll crack you. It'll mess you up big time permanently wow um, so yeah that that was solitary back then,
0: and then <clears throat> while you were in solitary uh, a woman uh, an african american woman was was doing kind of prison ministry and she she walked by your cell and said, "Jesus is going to use you now tell us about yeah. this woman and and what was your reaction when you heard this from her uh, when i when i <laughs> the initial uh...
1: You know, Jesus loves you, and he's going to use you. Uh, I immediately thought this lady, she's she has no clue of where she's at. She has no idea who I am. In fact, the, the CEOs, the correctional officers, uh, encouraged her, or rather discouraged her from approaching myself. Um, and, you know, she just had this boldness. At that time, I didn't understand what gave her this boldness, what gave her that, you know, this brave heart uh, to approach someone like me and, 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 in their cell. Uh, but her words were, you know, you know, she invited me to hear her and to for her to pray for me. And, and I just didn't want nothing to do with that. Uh, so when she says this, you know, Jesus loves you. He's going to use you. I, um, I, I just, uh, kind of, uh, not know what to, uh, I didn't know what to take of that. I just thought she was crazy. And, um, and she asked me, you know, you know, we come here on the last Thursday of the month every month. Uh, is it okay to stop by yourself and, and just pray for you? And and I, I basically told her, you know, you can do whatever you want, but I'm not buying into your uh, into your whatever it is that you're trying to sell me.
0: Yeah, uh,
1: I was, I was, I wasn't rude. I was just firm. Uh, Whether I, I I didn't, I, mean, I don't, I don't feel that I was very disrespectful. I was just being, you know, straight up with her.
0: Yeah. But then you had this extraordinary (laughs) moment and I don't know, tell me how long you were in solitary before. I can't remember. I think it was three years, maybe when this happened, basically you were in your cell and you started to see a movie of your life kind of playing on the wall of yourself. What tell us about that? Cause that is, that was, that's amazing. What happened in that?
1: Well, you know, it, it, here's the thing. Um, uh, uh, none of my crimes, not not one of my crimes, whether inside or out, uh, I have absolutely zero uh, drug offenses. Anything that has to do with drugs. I hated drugs. Uh, never just, you know, did I dabble into here and there uh, from time to time? Yes. But that wasn't my thing. And none of my crimes were committed while, while using anything. I was in on my five. And so in the cell, I'm that same way. I. I I'm not doing drugs. I'm not nothing. I'm perfectly fine, and um, so, you know, you start seeing a movie right in front of your face on your wall, and uh, and it's playing footage that only you know has taken place in your in in your life. Um, caught me by surprise, and and I thought, you know, in the book I, I talk about one of the guys next to me in the cell next to me. He was a guy that uh um. Went crazy and had and thought that he had ducks in his cell, he completely lost it. Right. Um, so I thought, well, you know, this guy has ducks in his cell, and I have a movie. This is my moment where I'm about to crash and and, and burn, kind of thing. Uh, but uh, I'm not weirded out, I'm just I know what I'm seeing, and uh, and then it kind of cuts and it goes into I, I start seeing this guy carrying this cross, and I see the crowds. I see that this guy, nobody likes this guy. Whoever's carrying this cross, they're not very fond of this guy. Um, And and somehow I can see that he's... Whoever's carrying this cross is looking at me. I can't see or make uh, up the details of his face. Can't see none of that. But I know whoever's carrying this cross is looking at me throughout the whole time. Um, Gets to... to, the nails on his hands, on his feet. I had never, ever, ever had anybody, not even Frances Proctor, the black lady that came and said, Jesus loves you. She didn't even explain that uh, portion to me. So I'm really looking at the gospel coming to life in this movie on my wall. And uh, since I was about eight years old, my nickname has been Casey. Everybody calls me Casey. I changed it. Um, We were playing baseball or football. I don't remember what it was. And I just told all the kids this is when, again, this is when kids still played outside, you know, and and there was about 15, 20 of us out there. And I just said, uh, hey, uh, from here on out, you're going to call me Casey. And so that nickname has just stayed with me even till now. My mom calls me Casey. Everybody calls me Casey. So here's this guy getting nails on his hands and feet. And the cross is coming up, and I still didn't understand what was going on. I didn't, I, you know, I'm just looking, uh, and I'm kind of, I'm kind of weirded out in in the sense that I know what I'm seeing. I'm I'm wide awake. It's not a dream. I'm awake, and mm-hmm. I'm on my five. And then I hear uh, uh, Darwin. I did this for you, and, and that's my,
0: yeah, by the way. Darwin is your birth name. Is your real name? Is your birth, birth name. name. Yeah. So you're hearing this guy. This you're hearing basically Jesus say, "Darwin, I'm. I did this for you. I'm doing." And this for when
1: you. he, yeah, when he said that, um, I, I could hear the, his uh, breath leave him. I could literally hear his breath leaving, and at, it was that point that I just uh, got in that cell on the floor and wept. And I don't know. I know now I can explain it. I didn't know how to explain it then, but. I know it was this overwhelming peace. And I still, when I go and speak engagements and stuff like that, I, I still uh, let everybody know. I, I've been out for so long and I've been in, in amazing places. Uh, you know, I just got back from Maui not too long ago. Beautiful waterfalls and sunrises and sunsets, lakes, rivers. I, I love that kind of nature. I have never felt the peace that I felt in that cell. It, it, there's, wow. And I, I don't think I'll ever feel that peace like I felt that peace in that cell. Because at that point, I knew that it wasn't that I had done wrong. I knew I had done wrong. Who doesn't know that you know, killing somebody is the wrong thing to do? You, you already know that. That robbing is the wrong thing. You know that. Mm-hmm. But in that moment, the forgiveness of God, the mercy and the grace of God, the love of God, pointed to the fact that I had sinned before God, that it wasn't a crime. It was a sin before God. And so that sin became what we read in the Bible as exceedingly sinful. That was the game changer for me. And I remember getting so uh, raw with God. um, And I don't know, you know, some people might say, you know, when I repented, uh, 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 I said sorry for stealing a cookie or sorry for, you know, cutting somebody off for me, it was different. It was, I just got real with God. And I remember saying, you know, God, I'm sorry for stabbing this person for stabbing this other person. And it was just stabbing. You, at yeah. You
0: sp- were confessing all of your sins. Like I was I- just confessing
1: everything. And, and as I did that, it was just this amazing freedom that I can't just, I mean, it was just amazing freedom that I got to experience in that cell.
0: And then how soon after that did you get a hold of a Bible?
1: Um, It took about, I'm not sure exactly how long it's been so long, but uh, I remember uh, hearing God's voice um, telling me to, uh, you know, uh, knock on my gate. And when we, when I say gate, it it means my door, my cell door. Uh, There was two, two doors to my cell. Uh, I knocked on it, a guard, Uh, happened to be walking by when I did that and um, you know I asked him I said hey uh, uh, I need to talk to a chaplain I didn't even know what a chaplain was Um, but that's what God told me to to ask for so I asked and this guard uh, the CO uh, I I couldn't see him but I know that there was a little sarcasm in his voice you know pulling my leg he didn't say that he said some other words Uh, and I said "Uh, nah man I'm, I'm just I'm supposed to talk to a chaplain and he goes, goes, hold on a second. He goes, comes back and he slips this little piece of paper and a pencil about that big. And he gives it to me through the, through the tray slot. And, um, I fill it out. I give it to him. And a few days later is when I talked to the chaplain and he explained, uh, I, I shared what I just shared with you guys. And, um, he explained, he opened the Bible. And I mean, he was weeping, man, and, which caused me to weep. And I didn't even know why he was crying, but you know, he, he pointed out and John and showed uh, me the the whole crucifixion and the burial, the resurrection, and it just made sense. And uh, I was able to to have a Bible at that point.
0: Wow! <laughs> and and then you started reading the Bible just constantly, right? <laughs> I read the. <laughs> I read the Bible,
1: you know, (laughs) this is uh, before NIVs or any other translation that was out, whether they existed, I don't know. King James. We didn't have them. We had King James. Yeah. And and, uh, so I had a Gideon Bible, uh, and I just read it. I read it like a normal book, uh, you know, from, you know, left to right. And I remember, (laughs) initially when I started reading it, I I thought, okay, well, it's got to get good somewhere. And then you bump into the Viticus and, and and you're going, what is this? How is this going to help me? Like this, this is, <laughs> it's not making sense to me, right? Uh, but uh, you know, you have 23, 24 hours in you know in that cell, pretty much. Uh, you have time. Uh, so I got to Acts pretty quick, and it's in Acts where I started to see, oh wow, uh, this is um, this is interesting. This something started to happen in my heart. And the understanding uh, started to take place little by little.
0: And then you got, you got unexpectedly, you got let out of solitary. Uh, why did yeah. that happen?
1: Um, well, uh, I, know not, I know now why that happened. Uh, but, you know, again, uh, uh, here's God's voice again. And he says, uh, when you get out, you're going to call a gang meeting with your, with your fellas. And you're going to let them know that you have nothing to do with this anymore. more that you're a Christian. And I thought, well, you know, I'm going to be spending 12 years, uh, eight months at the minimum in solitary. So that's a, that's a while before I could, you know, get a bunch of guys together. And, um, lo and behold, uh, the very people that, that told me I would be spending all the, all my time in there, uh, my door racks open, my gate racks open. That never happens. That never happens. Uh, when i was uh, going to a shower um you know you slip your hands through the tray slots you're handcuffed and you you walk against the the to, towards the back of your cell you turn around you get on your knees cross your, your your legs and they come in a team in a team formation and they chain you uh and that's just to go down the hall to get, to take a shower so my my gate racking open all of a sudden was a little uh it was an uneasy moment for me um, and then for them to say we don't know why we're doing this but we're going to put you in in mainland and in, in gp in general population uh that then i understood what god had told me to do and, and that was yeah. yeah that was that was a very dangerous call for me to uh
0: yeah and so when you told the other when you told other gang members in prison that you were a christian there was i mean <laughs> That was really hard to read because you they I mean, you were beat up so many different times because why did they why did they do that to you? Uh,
1: I, well, they were supposed to they were they were supposed to kill me is what they were supposed to do. Um, they, and usually they'll send someone from your own gang or something that's very close from close to you. And that's all, you know, uh, what we would call a road dog, a best friend kind of thing. Uh, that whoever's closest to you is usually the one that has to do the job. And there was, uh, our gang was big enough to where there was enough of those in, in our, uh, in our sector. Uh, they send us individual.
0: And, and the reason uh, they, the reason they are supposed to kill you is because you're not allowed to leave a gang, the gang.
1: No, you're, 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 you're pretty much turning your, well, you're not pretty much, you're turning your back on, on them. Yeah. And that's a very disrespectful move. Uh that's that's and, and what it's called is it's called throwing out the trash. So I'm the trash and they need to throw it out. That's that's how it's right. viewed in there. And uh they send this guy, this gentleman, over to my cell. I remember he came uh, the night before they were gonna do this, and he comes to my wicket, my little window on my cell, and he's telling me, you know, hey, they they're asking me to throw the trash. Um, you need to change the story. Uh, and I said I, I can't change my story. It's impossible to change my story. I know what happened to my to my life. And, you know, uh, I want to tell you, I'll forgive you ahead of time for what you're going to do. And I remember him getting super angry, just very angry and saying, you know, no, you don't get it. They're asking me to throw out the trash. And I said, I get it. I know exactly that. I know the protocol. I know the politics in here, but change my story. I'm not going to change my story. Yeah. You know, God has done something in my life, and I can't deny it. And so, do what you gotta do. But I forgive you. And he stormed off. And the next morning is when uh, I see him again. And uh, in the morning is when uh, chow uh, breakfast is is you know you're going to chow, and all the rack all the gates rack open at the same time. Uh, and here he comes, and I'm thinking he's going to come with a bunch of guys in there, and you know stab me to death. I you know I've seen that part taken of that many times and so no, nothing new to me um I, I had it was a rough night because i knew that it was going to be done quick um i read prayed was i nervous yeah uh, was i somewhat afraid well you don't know what what you know you don't know how how it's going to go down you know it's going to be violent and he walks in and he and he says to me uh uh i can't do i can't do this um But whatever you're doing, I'll roll with you. And he became the first person that I led to Christ uh, right there. So for the next two years, I I think the anger that they had towards uh, me—they were having fun in the beatings—and we had to endure for two years. We had to endure, and not just me, but everybody else that followed after me, uh, or after the Lord rather, um, because uh, some some very big shock dollars came to Christ uh, through me converting. And uh, so we had to all endure that. But yeah, there was moments where you wake up and you don't know what happened. You don't know what, you know, you don't even remember where you were at. You just know that you're waking up in, you know, in the prison hospital or at a hospital outside of the prison. And you're just, you know, it, it, it's brutal beatings. Um, but, you know, uh, it, through that, through all of that, um, I, I felt peace in my heart, and I knew that God had did something to it, and I was okay with that.
0: And how? Tell tell us again. How long did these beatings go on with you?
1: For about two years. Wow. About two years. Um, I, I probably lost count after twenty something. I don't know. Uh, there, there were there were there were a lot
0: and they and they did they ever tell you why they didn't take out the trash like why they didn't actually kill you I think they were
1: just having fun at that at that in that moment I think that they just enjoyed seeing uh you know us blank out you know uh, uh and and pass out uh, momentarily out of a concussion or whatever it was you know you have 20 30 inmates on top of you Beating you, and and it could be two minutes, and two minutes is a long time when you have a lot of uh, individuals, and you know, just stomping on your head. I've lost teeth; Uh, my mouth is all messed up uh, from prison boots uh, to my mouth, and uh, yeah. Uh, At some point, I'll I'll fix it. I'll fix that.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And then you started a Bible study, and you you were passing. Secret notes uh, that you, which you called kites. What yeah. now, what were these secret notes? What what were you doing with these notes?
1: So kites kites are are, are little notes that we would pass uh, throughout the prison, uh, you know, from prison to prison, from yard to yard. Um, and these kites usually they were used for either hits uh, that needed to be, uh, uh, you know, where somebody had to be taken out, uh, killed, or you know, heroin had to be moved from one place to another or coming in. So there were assignments on these, on these kites. They were just letter letters. And so I used that same system to evangelize. Uh, I used that system to, and I would write, you know, a short letter. Hey, uh, so and so, uh, you know, Jesus loves you and he wants to use you. And I used what Francis told me, <laughs> you know, and, and I'd add a scripture or two. And I knew that if they, if I handed this note to them, this kite, to whoever I was going to hand it to, if they took it, I knew they were going to read it. And uh, through that, um, within, I, I want to say a couple of months, um, I had a group of about four to five uh, individuals that came to Christ through these kites. And they were very influential. Uh, some of them were lifers, uh, some of them were serving lengthy terms, uh, all of them for, for murder. And so, uh, them receiving that kite from me and then coming to Christ uh, was was so powerful for God to show me that, hey, uh, I'm, I'm going to multiply you guys. I'm going to use this as a, as a platform to bring others. And, uh, yeah, I started this little Bible study on the yard. Uh, and, again, it, you know, the beatings in the whole nine yards. And there was times when we would come to Bible study, and I'm talking about <laughs> – you can't even see where our mouth was because it was just just a beating it was, you know, our eyes were be busted or or whatever it was. Our nose was to the side and we laughed. We praised God. And we, we I remember um, running into a scripture that says mm-hmm. that the disciples went through that
0: mm-hmm. and
1: they and they were happy. You know, they, they yeah. went off happy joyous was the word that is used and I, I i i i don't recommend anybody getting assaulted for their faith but <clears throat> yeah when you go through that there is that that i got to experience that we got to experience that there's something special that when you're counted worthy to go through something like that right. we weren't victims we never saw ourselves as victims we we saw ourselves as Christians. Victors.
0: Victors in Christ. I know. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And then, so you were sentenced, I think you said to 12 years, right? 12 years, eight months. Yeah. 12 years, eight months. But five years before the 12, you went before the parole board and tell us that story because I I like how you... (laughs) Where they asked you, you you kind of flipped the script on them because they were expecting <laughs> you to to give them this kind of answer, but you didn't give them the answer they wanted or they they were expecting. So tell us that story.
1: Um, it, it was um, you know, you, you go to a parole board every year. Um, some people go to to the board every three years, depends on your case. Uh, so for me, uh, I was already on my seventh year uh, is when it, that happened and. Uh, seven years and and some change and and, um, I show up Uh, to me, it's going to be another regular board meeting, you know, going to go over your case, what you're, what are you doing here on on the yard? Are you taking the classes that the court and the the state has given you to take? Are you completing those things? That kind of, that's my mentality. And I was completing everything that they were uh, had assigned me. And I walked in and uh, you know, (laughs) that starts to happen. And towards the end, uh, uh, one of the uh, parole uh, parole board members says, uh, why do you think uh, we should let you go? Why should should we parole you? And I said to him, I said, "Uh, you shouldn't. Um, I belong here. I belong here. Mm -hmm. In fact, I feel that the justice system, uh, in a way, failed my victim. Because I should have been serving, I should be serving life in here. Um, You know, uh, so uh, I I don't expect to go home anytime uh, soon. Um, I belong here. I I think that, you know, what I got sentenced to is very minute uh, in comparison to my crime. I I don't know how, they, they, they didn't know how to handle that. It was almost like throwing a porcupine. In their in their hands because you know it's like hey what what is this you know and and um, uh, they 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 took a recess they took me out of the room and then uh, when I got back when they ca- called me back in uh, says where are you going to eat and <laughs> I jokingly said you know uh, at that time uh, in, uh, in the California Department of Corrections they still had three hots meaning three hot meals in the chow home. Um, But if you, for whatever reason, couldn't make it to the chow, uh, for appointment reasons or whatever, uh, you would get a sack lunch in your cell. And and it was a soggy sandwich. It was always horrible. Not that the food uh, uh, (laughs)
0: in in the chow Hall was
1: (laughs) served by, uh, you know. uh, It wasn't Michelin
0: star star restaurant. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: (laughs) It wasn't uh, the Ritz neither. But it was just a little bit better. And so I told him. I he said, "Well, uh, I'd like to make it to to get a, a hot plate before I get a sack lunch, kind of thing." And he says, uh, "No, uh, what are you, you going to eat tonight?" And uh, just like the the movies, you know, they slide the paperwork to you, and and I couldn't believe what I saw, and, and they had granted me an early parole. It was I didn't know how to take it. You know, I I, I know that it wasn't, I didn't deserve it um, at all. Um, But God had his, he knew what he was doing with me and and, and knew that for some reason uh, I, I needed to get out at that moment.
0: Yeah. And then you, you get out, but then the INS, <laughs> arrest you or they they arrest you again or what happened? Tell us that story about the INS, and then you they saw you lead two guys to Christ, these these office these uh officer agents or whatever. So tell us about that, the INS story. So
1: I'm I'm paroled, I get back to my cell. Uh I, I make it to the child hall, by the way. I eat my hot uh meal, I get back to my cell, and uh, within 24 hours, they're gonna parole me. Uh, I'm a free man, right? Uh, So uh, uh, that moment happens and I'm walking out with my box um, to the last um, glass door. You're, you know, you get reprocessed uh, out. uh, You get new pictures, fingerprinted all over again. And then there's always a long procedure. It's Mm -hmm. not like they just open the door, Uh, but I'm at the last. All the procedures are, are gone. They've taken care of that. And I'm on the last glass door. So, after this door, it's freedom, and I see two uh two men on the other side of that glass door, and uh they buzz open the door, and he says, uh d is Darwin." you know I said, yeah. It was uh, go ahead and put the box down and turn around and uh, put your hands down your head and you know it stunned me because I didn't know uh, well, maybe this is another crime, and I'm getting rearrested for that I, I didn't know what was going on. Until they uh, told me who they were, and they were INS agents. I was born in El Salvador, and I came here. You know, I came here legally with my parent, with my with my grandma. And so I thought, okay, uh, well, I guess they're taking that away, and and they're deporting me. And so I, they put me in a in a van, I head back with two these two agents. I'm chained up again, and they take me to a federal detention center and um i i go in there and there's these two i i get placed in a in a tank it's a holding tank there's a phone booth uh, phone, uh, uh, a phone uh a phone on the wall and there's two uh, mexican guys in there uh, and they 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 speak the, uh, english a uh, little broken but i can understand them very well and i you know they asked me oh, where are you going i said uh I guess I'm going to El Salvador because that's where I was born. And he says, you got family over there? I said, no, nah, I don't have anybody over there. I don't know anybody over there. I've been here since I was two. He says, uh, you you got, you know, your folks out here, you married, you got kids. I said, no kids, no wife. My mom and my dad are here, but uh, he goes, have you he called her? I said, nah, I'm not going to call her. I'm not going to call her until I get wherever I'm going. going. Uh, I don't want to break her heart. And I'm able to sit down with one. And we start talking. The 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 cool thing about what the Lord does in this is somebody gave me, and I, hopefully some at some point I get to heaven, I'll find out who exactly gave me these two Spanish Bibles. I don't know, I don't know how to read Spanish. I can hardly even <laughs> speak it uh, without making a mess out of myself. But somebody gave me two uh, Spanish Bibles that were shrink-wrapped. And I I don't know why, when I was leaving my cell uh, in, in New Folsom, I don't know why I even packed them. I could have just left them in my cell, and I didn't. I put them in my box. Mm-hmm. And so, I start talking to, this, to the first one, and within a few minutes, uh, I lead him to the Lord. And the other guy's been listening to the conversation between me and him. Second guy comes to the Lord now. When the first guy came came to the Lord, I went to the to the to the bars, and I asked one of the the guys that the transportation guys that came and picked me up. Uh, I asked him, I said, can you go in the box? There's a Spanish Bible, shrink wrap. Can you hand it to me? So he gave it to me. And then the second guy, the same thing. And I bothered the the transport guy again. And he did the, the same thing. I gave it to him. And a few minutes after that, the most incredible thing happened. Uh, that same federal agent that picked me up, that gave me the Bibles, that were in my box outside of my uh, uh, the tank, uh, he goes to the bars and he says, Diaz, I said, yeah. He goes, uh, you got anything in here? I said, no, nah, just the box outside there. He goes, all right, man, uh, you're going out. And I thought, man, they deport you quick in here, man. They, they don't waste no time, right? Uh, they must be have like a, the plane must be like on the back of this, yeah. you know, this place because that's quick. And uh, he says, uh, we made a mistake, but we can't let you go. We can't parole you from here. We're going to have to take you back to state and uh, the state will parole you. And one of the guys said, I thought you said you weren't born here. I said, I, um, I wasn't. I'm telling you the truth. I, uh, I'm from El Salvador. And he's, why are they letting you go? I said, I, I don't know. Ask him. I, I don't know why they're letting me go. <laughs> uh, you know. And so we're walking this corridor, man, this long corridor, back to the buses. Uh, there's a milk, milk crate filled with chains. And this federal agent, as we're walking to the, to the, uh, to the van, the buses in Banzer. Uh, he says, can I ask you a question? I said, yeah, sure. He goes, uh, what happened back there? I said, those, those two Mexican guys just came to the Lord. He goes, I'm a Christian, um, and I'm going to tell you something. Uh, I've been here for over 20 years. I've never seen anything happen like that. What I've seen is guys that came to be Christians, and as soon as I put them in that tank, they get on the phone and they're talking to their homeboys or they're talking about who they're going to go sleep with mm. partying and the whole nine yards. they forget you know that there were Christians in there this is the first time I've ever seen that and as he's reaching we get to the point where the, the milk crates full of the chains are there he reaches down to get to to, to grab the, the shackles and the chains to you know to restrain him. and his lip is shaking man His lip is shaking. His eyes are so watery. And he's trying to, like, contain himself, which I'm seeing him do that. I start to, you know, get choked up. And he says, you know, I I feel guilty. I feel really bad putting this on you because you don't deserve that. You don't deserve these. And I remember putting my hands out, you know, because I didn't want them to feel bad. I didn't want him to feel any worse. So I just put my hands. You know, I gave him my hands and he started to put the restraints on me, put me in a van. And the cool part is that because I guess he had clearance of uh, me being a free guy now and they're going to take me back to uh, Folsom, uh, he he didn't have to take a partner. He came by himself. So he drove and escorted me back to uh, state prison. And I'm sharing everything that uh, just what God has ha, had done in my life and in the life of others and while I was in there. And he is just bawling, man. He is just like weeping uncontrollably as he's driving. And I remember I told him, I said, Man, I ain't I'm gonna stop and I'm not gonna say nothing to you. You're gonna get us into an accident. <laughs> and I'll never make it home kind of thing, right? And we laughed and Holland Yards. It was a great moment and, and just seeing God is an amazing God man. And he has continues to do things with people that don't deserve it. Like you, like me, like everybody else on this, on this green earth, we don't deserve anything yet. He constantly gives and he constantly is, his mercy is new every morning and his faithfulness that it's just overwhelming.
0: Yeah. And so wait, how just, so we, the timeline, when you went back to get reprocessed, how long did that take before you were actually free a free man
1: it, it was pretty quick um within the next 24 hours i was released in the morning At seven in the morning is when uh, uh you hear your name being called uh on the loudspeaker uh and then you're again fingerprinted the whole night. oh you, here's the cool part maybe i shouldn't share this part for those of you that that might want to get the book because something happens when i get back into the into the, back to uh state prison um yeah i don't want to ruin it because it's, yeah. it's, it's, yeah, get the it's, book. Yeah, I got to leave them a, 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 on the cliff
0: right at that
1: point, but something awesome happens uh, through that, and uh, I'm, I'm released the next morning. Yes. Wow, so that's a,
0: and that was in 1995. You were released? 95. yeah, yeah, July 3rd. I think it was July 3rd. Um, and uh, and then you got married, had two kids
1: on and, July 3rd.
0: <laughs> on July 3rd, and, <laughs> a few uh, years later. <laughs> oh, really? Oh, okay. You got married two years later. Okay, cool. That's all. I, did, I forgot about that. So what are you up to now? What, what's going School. on in your life now?
1: So it's, it's some interesting stuff. Um, you know, the, the book became a number one bestseller. Uh, I was invited to the White House, uh, got on major uh, networks, on TV, on primetime, shared my story, promoted the book. Right now they're doing a motion picture film. Uh, uh, that's connected to the book. Uh, it's already in development. Uh, oh, there's wow. an A list director that I, I'm under contract, so I can't give out his name. Uh, I can tell you that uh, the, the people doing it are, are amazing people. Um, Zero Gravity is, is the production company that's behind it. Uh, and so that's happening. I've since, uh, I have my own, uh, I host my own uh, podcast, the Shot Color Podcast. And I go and uh, I speak, uh, do public uh, speaking in churches, detention centers, uh, high schools, universities, uh, wherever the Lord sends me, uh, I go.
0: Well, and that's what I think, <laughs> think Frances Proctor uh, was correct when she said Jesus is going to use you. <laughs> she, she wasn't crazy after all. <laughs> <laughs> Are you in contact with her now? She passed away two years ago. Oh, uh,
1: okay. Two years ago, she was, but she was at my wedding. Uh, I visited. Yeah. her. The, I, I surprised the the church, about Baptist Church. I went to their church. Um, didn't tell them I was going. Didn't know they didn't know I was out. And I showed up. It was a great moment uh, where I got to do yeah. life with them. Uh, and yeah, she was at my the whole uh, prison ministry that would go in there. They were at my wedding. So um, wow. yeah, it, it, it's it's an amazing. Uh, a moment that I that I got to uh, share with her out here.
0: That's amazing. Well, guys, get the shot caller the book. It's amazing. It'll uh, it'll blow your mind, and listen to his podcast, the shot caller. And uh, thank you, Casey Diaz, for being on the show. I appreciate it. Thank you so much.
1: Rick. I really appreciate your time and and uh, your warm welcome to your show.
0: All right. Thank you, guys. We'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Beckett Cook Show. Your support makes this content possible. All episodes of The Beckett Cook Show are also available on YouTube. For more information about Beckett and his ministry, visit his website at beckettcook.com. Thank you to the team at Life Audio for their partnership with us. If you go to lifeaudio.com, you will find more faith centered podcasts about prayer, Bible study, parenting, and more.